0: Bismillah Rahmanir Rahim. Today we have a special bonus edition of the Talking Dean podcast, looking at Turkey's Operation Peace Spring initiative, in which the Turkish armed forces have gone into northern Syria in order to dismantle and eliminate the PKK organization operating as the YPG. Um, today your host is Mazen Ajib, that's myself. I also have Madassah Khan. And Imran Malik so um, we'll be discussing uh, why did America give Turkey the green light to attack the YPG Um, what's the background to the entire conflict and we'll be addressing some critical questions which are causing confusion amongst many Muslims many Muslims are confused as to why America has given the green light they're confused thinking that the PKK is just another rebel organisation as was uh, the Free Syrian Army or as is the Free Syrian Army and those factions that were fighting against uh, Assad in Syria and therefore they are confused as to whether they should support the Turkish operation and furthermore, some are even confused as to whether they should support uh, Turkey because Erdogan has uh, initiated this uh, Uh, attack on the PKK purely for Turkish national interest and he did not send in the armed forces when the people in Turkey have been suffering for many years even though he did send in the armed forces in order to protect the tomb of Suleiman Shah so so on the first question um, why did America give Turkey the green light to attack the YPG? Um, Would you say America gave
1: the green light or was it you know turkey out of almost like being forced to kind of like go into uh, syria considering you know the threat it now kind of like faces from uh, the ypg or the pkk as it was formerly known as before they kind of like relabeled themselves as ypg or the syrian democratic forces to be more aligned with america and get that pleasant view across the world um i personally reckon america didn't give it the green light I reckon Turkey was almost like kind of like compelled to go in there purely because of its own territorial sovereignty is at stake, and also the threat now that was looming over Turkey. Considering Erdogan had been trying to make, you know, a number of attempts to go in there previously when the situation was more ripe, uh, as opposed to now, where over the past, like, you know, couple of years, America has been arming, and you know, kind of like arming the uh, Kurds. Sorry, not the Kurds, the YPG. Uh, to a point where it does pose a significant threat to Turkey and its national interest, um, where it's armed them to the point of you would normally arm a state as opposed to a rebel or a small faction. Uh, we're talking, you know, like American shipping and you know, cargo planes and also, you know, truckloads almost like There's obviously numbers being quoted and mentioned to, to say there was a, a 5,000 truckloads or 1,000, you know, Cargo planes. Yeah, loads. there's uh,
2: 35,000 trucks and uh, 5,000 cargo planes of weapons. Mm. So, as you said, that's a huge number of uh, weaponry. That's at, at a state level. Mm. And you, there's no way that you could give that to a rebel faction that are, you know, are currently fighting in the ground like the uh, FSA, etc.
0: So, yeah, so that's what causes, um, and that should answer some of the questions for those who believe that America genuinely gave Turkish. The green light, the, the Turkish armed forces, the green light to go in and attack the PKK just because Trump um, said uh, he's given the green light and he's withdrawing. But people need to look below the surface because America has invested heavily in the Kurdish project. They've invested heavily, as you've said, in arming the YPG, in empowering them. In supporting them not just over the past couple of years but the whole kurdish project as a whole for many years now um, the fact that the ypg control 80 percent of syria's oil in the regions in the of the northeast what they call rajava which is going to be the name of their uh, kurdish state uh, in that region um shows that it it, it it had to be more to it than meets the
2: eye um, so there had to be something else to it. I think the other thing is that, uh, like Madasa said, that Turkey had no choice but to go, go in. The fact that the uh, US was arming uh, the YPG. So why, did,
0: why didn't they have a choice?
2: Well, I think Erdogan is aware that... Uh, because Erdogan wanted to go into uh, North Syria way before it, it, it did. And it's aware that the US is also dragging its feet. And there is talk of uh, the uh, that this is a a, a trap set by the Americans for the for for the Turks that they could get into a a quagmire. But I think Erdogan would be more astute into knowing that that this is a a, a quagmire, such because it's got the uh, FSA uh, on the ground, which Turkey will obviously support by uh, the the, the, the aerial to 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 aerial bombardment support, support. and then they use the FSA. And his own troops, obviously, to win the battle on the uh, on the ground. So I think Erdogan is aware that the quagmire issue will be thwarted. He hopes so. that it will be uh, thwarted by using the FSA and the aerial support that it will, it will give. So in in also that will uh, allow the weakening of the YPG as well.
0: Yeah, I think it's also important to mention the historical context of why America uh, and Israel, for that matter, have been supporting. The the Kurdish uh, project for a Kurdish independent state in northern Iraq, what they call the KRG, the Kurdish Regional Government, which uh, is in um, which is like a de facto separate region of Iraq. And then um, in uh, north uh, eastern northwestern Turkey, what they call Rojava So. You know, so why has America been supporting this Kurdish project and how does it link to the Greater Middle East Initiative?
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the things I, would, I just want to like take you back slightly is when the question that you posed, why is Erdogan compelled now? What's it linked to on the timing? There's quite a few indicators and also has America really given it the blessings? I mean, you just have to look at, you know, some of the circumstances that are surrounding this operation. I mean, you look at, you know, Erdogan's own popularity is diminishing. Okay, the elections are coming up. Uh, in two years' time and also we know, you know, the popularity and also the Syrian refugee issue that's on his hands and the fact that he recently lost, you know, key, you know, like strongholds of uh, the AKP and also the fact that, you know, the £3.6 billion funding is about to, like, be cut, which was to say to Turkey, if you kind of, like... uh, Cut from uh, who? uh, The Americans, the uh, you know, the investment that they were uh, given for blocking the refugees from entering Europe and housing, uh, you know, uh, the uh, Syrian refugees. So maybe Erdogan thought, okay, that's coming to an end. And also the fact that, you know, when I said, you know, he was almost compelled. He did make, you know, numerous attempts to go to the Americans, where Americans were making commitments to say, okay, we'll man the border with you. But America was never coming forward to have, you know, give anything committal financially. So it was Turkey that was having to burden... Uh, do you know the mining of the border and some of the agreements that Turkey had made with the Americans, the Americans never really came up with it. The other thing is America can't just leave the situation being the sole superpower of the world and walk away without having real kind of influence. So hence why, do you know, if you kind of like look at some of the statements that Trump has uh, come out with, such as, do you know, what we need to our policy is to not partake in you know the stupid endless wars, which is you know a common theme of uh, the Trump regime and the promises that he made at the start. And also the fact that and you know, he's got a re he's got a
0: re-election coming up next year.
1: Absolutely, so he wins a but popularity contest. Absolutely. Context then, with that. similarly, on the opposite hand, he's talking and coming out with statements to say if Turkey does anything which I consider to be off limits, I will destroy and oblip, oblip, obliterate the Turkish economy. And also the fact that then he kind of levels it out to say it's time for the others who have got the necessary will to you know stand up and be accountable and take, you know, uh, charge of their own uh, territories or protect their own territories. So you can see where he's getting, you know, internal public pressure. And we know there's internal public pressures between the Republicans and the Democrats. So he's trying to level the ground up, but also he's kind keeping that, you know, middle ground to ensure that, you know, American supremacy is still, you know, has some kind of validity to it without thinking that, you know what, they've lost Uh, And also, we do know, you know, the uh, Russians are quite keen uh, because that's a strategic area which the the Kurds are controlling. And it falls kind of like nicely into the Russian hands in the sense that they'll be able to use the Turks to kind of like, you know, bring back, you know, a region which gives, you know, great economical benefit to both the Syrians and also, you know, the uh, Russians. Hmm. And the fact that, you know, the Astana Agreement uh, was almost like the prime of the ample template for the Turks to kind of like get what they wanted, but they turned away from that and went towards, you know, the American uh, initiatives.
2: On, on the point of uh, uh, Russia, also, uh, I think it's advantageous for Russia that Turkey has gone in, uh, in the sense that it solidifies the relationship uh, with Erdogan and Russia, um, because there was a, a, a rift between America and Turkey. That is Turkey moving away from. Uh, America's uh, orbit of influence. And then it bought the uh, planes from uh, the war planes from uh, the S four hundred from yeah. uh, Russia, yeah. and obviously America wasn't uh, happy with that. Uh, also, with the Russian, uh, with the Russians is that they still have uh, Idlib to uh, sort out because that's uh, still the one of the main st- uh, strongholds for uh, the rebel, rebel, stronghold, rebel stronghold. Yeah, yeah. yes. So a, a deal possibly could be done with uh, Turkey. And Russia saying that you allow us to sort out the Idlib uh, issue and also shows up the uh, Assad uh, regime uh, as well. So I think it benefits. Uh, there's a lot of players in obviously in Syria, even the EU is uh, some of the European states have come out and criticized uh, Erdogan, France has, Britain has, Germany, etc. But uh, it's a bit quite obviously it's a complicated uh, uh, issue. But with the Russians, I think it favors the Russians in terms of the stance that it has in uh, Syria. And uh, with Erdogan as well.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, um, that's very true. And also I want to uh, address, you know, why does Turkey feel a threat, you know, from a Kurdish uh, state uh, on its borders? I think this is the crux of the matter, which is what made really what made Turkey react. And hence the reason why I wanted to draw it back to the Greater Middle East Initiative uh, which is the American plan for the region. So as a quick recap, you know, we've discussed many times before, the Greater Middle East Initiative is America's strategy and plan for the whole Muslim world, from Morocco all the way to Pakistan, which has two main objectives. There are other sub-objectives, but the two overarching and main objectives. One is to secularize uh, the region, secularize the Muslims and secularize Islam. And there's a whole load of initiatives going um, on about that. Secondly, as a backup, is to divide and fragment and subdivide the entire region of, uh, across seth- um, ethnic and sectarian lines as far as possible. For America, establishing a Kurdish state uh, across northern Iraq, uh, northern Syria, into uh, uh, Iran and, and Turkey in future was one way of not only dividing the Ummah but the Kurdish movement or Kurdist, uh, the Kurdistan that they were looking to establish, the PKK and these movements have had um, uh, a Kurdish state been successfully established in northern Syria, what they call Rojava, and unified with the KRG in Iraq. This would have become a potent force from which America would have used as a base in order to destabilize and break up Turkey by arming and inciting the millions—I think it's 40 million or so—Turks, the Kurds that live inside um, inside Turkey on Turkey's southeastern uh, border. border.
1: Uh, that's true. I mean, you you mentioned you know, and the Kurds between themselves, or the uh, PKK or the YPG—they call it Western Kurdistan. And it is, I mean, if you look at, you know, why is it such a threat to Turkey? Because Turkey probably has the biggest sizable Kurdish population out of all the, uh, would you call it, countries where there is a kind of like, you know, presence of Kurds such as Iran, Syria, Iraq, etc. Now, the interesting thing is when you mentioned, you know, the Middle East Initiative, historically when the Middle East Initiative, the uh, GMEI, uh, Great Middle East Initiative, was announced in uh, uh, 2004, Israel was also party to that. And he played a massive you know, like, part in that. And one of the reasons that the Americans at the time kind of like, recognized and they also mentioned it, and Brzezinski also kind of like, mentioned it, who was the security advisor and kind of like, shaped the American you know, like, policy or foreign policy. Well, he said, you know, between. In the 70s and 80s. Uh, absolutely. Um, yes. Even recently, until he passed away, he had a massive influence. Yeah. And there were quite a few books written, and some of those books were also kind of like adopted as key uh, material where they trained, you know, their army of. Uh, I forgot the name of the place, but also uh, Carnegie Endowment. They kind of adopted that approach as well, where they said between 1990, 1993, and 2015, the global demand for energy you know, consumption will rise by 50%. And this was also mentioned by the US Department for Energy. And they said, you know, the significant increase in consumption will emanate from the Far East. You can see how America wants to solidify that region where there's a Kurdish presence because that's where untapped resources are containing but at the same time like you said fragment the muslim world and use an entity that can contain the muslims in the sense that it can secularize them and also along sectarian lines so the so the reason
0: why uh, the uh, the turkish regime and the turkish authorities had to respond to this threat was in order to maintain turkey's own territorial integrity and security and if we go back a few years we find actually the threat start becoming clear to Turkey um, from 2012, 2013, 2014 onwards. So very early on, the threat start emerging in Turkey because initially we have to remember the YPG units, which are actually um, the PKK, um, the Kurdish uh, um, military organization uh, set up and funded by uh, America and uh, Israel, The PKK or its branch, the YPG, was armed by the Americans initially under the pretext that they were liberating the towns such as Ras Al Ain and Kobani. They were liberating these towns from ISIS control. So, Turkey tolerated um, the uh, YPG incursion into these territories because they were led to believe by the Americans that once they've liberated these. From um, the uh, from ISIS, they were going to withdraw. However, America, being America, uh, went back on its um, uh, agreement and started strengthening the YPG. And as Madassa said early on, they have flooded that region with arms to the YPG to the level of a state, where they've got arms uh, in the same way a state might have. So, what happened? The YPG then went on uh, a massive ethnic cleansing campaign, where they where they demolished uh, houses belonging to Arabs and Turkmens in northwestern uh, uh, Syria, and start displacing them in order to curdify these regions in preparation for this uh, Rajava state that they were looking to uh, establish there. Okay. And it's a shame that. The Turkish regime didn't go in sooner, but then Turkey did respond to that initially with Operation Euphrates Shield. So there was a limited operation with Euphrates Shield, uh, but America was was kept, and until now, kept stalling Turkey through drawing agreements with it. So they made an agreement with it to say that they were going to have a joint patrol over Manbij. Because Erdogan was threatening to go all the way east, all the way toward Manbij. So they made an agreement uh, with Turkey in 2017 that they were going to carry out joint patrols in Manbij in order to stop the Turkish incursion. Turkey um, was deceived into it and didn't carry out the operation. And in, the, in those two years, America continued to strengthen and flood the YPG with arms. In 2018, Turkey then went into Afrin and again was threatening to go to Manbij and again the Americans made an agreement um, with Turkey and the Turks should have realised by now that America doesn't keep its agreements it was just stalling them and now by 2019, late 2019, it dawned upon Turkey that if they don't go in now and if they were to go in later the YPG now are a quite capable force and they would have been a lot more easier to knock out a couple of years ago Hence, it was inevitable they were going to go in. Donald Trump realized, as Madassa said at the start, they're going to go in, and he therefore gave the the so called green light. And he gave the group the green light for two purposes. One, as has already been said, um, he had no choice. The Turks were to go in anyway. Had they gone in with American troops still stationed to the east of the Euphrates, it would have potentially put them face to, the American troops face-to-face, face, a couple of thousand of them face-to-face face with the Turkish military, which is the second largest military in NATO, after America. Did America want that? Of course not. Secondly, a direct confrontation would mean, as uh, Imran said earlier, that uh, Turkey would be totally slipping out of America's orbit, and America would lose control of Turkey altogether, which would be risking the insulic... Uh, military base that America has, it would be risking that and it would be pushing Turkey totally into the arms of Russia which would turn uh, Turkey against America altogether. Because up until now what have been the Turkish politicians, have they been saying? They keep still referring to America as an ally. They're still hoping that America will come back to them
2: somehow. Because, uh, sorry, to your, yes. uh, the, uh, the recent media coverage is that even the the comments on the social media is that they actually it's as if they're confused who their allies are. Yeah, obviously Turkey plays a big role in NATO. Yeah, yes. But there's a question of uh, should we should we be supporting the uh, YPG or should we should we be supporting uh, the Turk? I think the majority of the opinion on you know the ground in the West, especially, is that the uh, that we they, that they should be supporting the YPG because they're the ones who fought against uh, uh, ISIS. Yes, and uh, so there's this talk about who are who the uh, allies are, but then Turkey has to keep reminding the West that we've done more for you than the actual uh, YPG have. Yeah. You know, but obviously because America's got its own agenda. But it has its own agenda.
0: And the second point you know, linked to that is that from America's point of view, um, what is America hoping? That the operation that Turkey will face in um, Syria, will be prolonged Turkey will deplete its resources, deplete its military, deplete its economy. And would America stop funding the YPG or would they still be secretly funneling on? Because they have the American military presence in Iraq, in Syria, in the Gulf and the multiple channels by which they have to be funneling on to the YPG, which includes Israel, uh, which we'll come on to in a minute, a special relationship of uh, Israel uh, and the Kurdish um, state uh, project going back historically. Uh, America is planning to really uh, give Turkey uh, 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 a bloody nose, uh, so to speak, um, uh, in this region. So and Turkey is hoping for a quick operation cause if it doesn't have a quick operation, um, it could get stuck there um, just in the same way uh, America trapped the Saudis in Yemen and made it difficult for them to um, uh, extricate themselves from that situation. You can see the
1: designs of America for Turkey. I mean, like you mentioned, it really does want to deplete Turkey uh, financially and economically, such as, you know, like the Americans were never favourable for Turkey to push, you know, the refugees back into Syria, because obviously it needs to sustain them, which means it's going to cost them. The other thing is, you know, militarily, America can still trap Turkey, if it needed to. Um, The other thing is, when we were talking about, you know, how the Americans were arming, you know, the Kurds to almost a state level, but we also have to recognise, you know, the significance of that region when we say strategic. So if you look at, you know, some of, uh, you know, the trade routes that go into Turkey, such as wheat and cotton, they go through that region. So economically, that's a threat to Turkey. On top of that, 80% of the Syrian oil sits within this region which the YPG control. Now, can you imagine a group, a faction that has been armed to a state level? And on top of that, it's got, you know, the oil revenue to finance itself. What level of threat it can pose to Turkey and its uh, national interest? And on top of that, when you mentioned, you know, how the Americans were stalling the Turks. So on a number of occasions, like you mentioned, you know, the Americans did sign agreements with Turkey. But they kept on mentioning and stating that, you know what, well, we're here to prevent and monitor the Islamic State's comeback as opposed to going after the Kurdish militia, which is a clear indication to the Turks that look, America's playing delay tactics. The longer you delay it, the bigger the enemy becomes, and it obviously morphs into something that you can't really contain. And then on top of that, you've got, you know, like I mentioned, transport uh, routes, and also, you know, how linking it back to, you know, the wider plans for the region how they want to literally use, you know, the YPG to uh, dismantle, you know, the Iraq, Syria, Iran, Turkey, and also, you know, threaten the unification of the Muslim countries from within. So it's no longer, you know, America coming in, invading. It's breaking up, you know, the Muslim nation from within by using, you know, the YPG.
0: Yeah, that's some very uh, uh, valid points. Sir. So, uh, yes, quickly, so yeah. you add something to that? Yeah. The other
1: way? thing what I want
2: to make note of is that we have to make a differentiation between Kurds and the YPG, the, yeah. yeah? Because not every Kurd supports the YPG. Or the PKK. Or the PKK, so yes. in fact, yeah? Because the YPG and the PKK, they're ultra-nationalists and non-Muslims as well. So non-religious and non-Muslims as well, yeah? Whereas the majority of the Kurds, they are Muslims. Yeah, so their sentiment is with Islam and the uh, uh, and, and the Muslims. So that's what we have to differentiate between the, uh, the YPG and the normal uh, the the average Kurds.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the 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 whole uh, PKK and uh, and it naturally leads actually to the uh, next point of discussion, which is why the PKK are unique as a movement compared to the other rebel movements such as the Free Syrian Army and the other factions that were fighting in Syria. What is it about the PKK? Um, ideologically, as Marxist, Leninist, secularist, atheist yeah, the leadership of these organisations, because Turkey's operation isn't against the Kurds or the Kurdish people. In fact, you'll find plenty of uh, film footage of when... Um, the Turkish troops went into towns like Afrin and liberated them from the YPG. It was the Kurdish residents themselves who were thanking them because the PKK were kidnapping their children, training them and forcing them to take part in their uh, Peshmerga uh, military units. So, um, I mean, the PKK, um, if we know that once when the PKK took over and um, one of the uh, brothers sent me a translation of uh, an Arabic article um, in which it said that when the PKK first took over Rasul Ain, the first thing they did was to go out, go to the Great Mosque of uh, Rasul Ain. And they, from the pulpit, pulpit, they were shouting at the loudspeakers um, to the residents of Rasul Ain, um, who they thought were supporting the Free Syrian Army and the other um, uh islamic uh, factions there that are fighting assad you know what they're shouting where are you dogs of mohammed this was their first you know message to the people of Rasul Ain. where are you oh dogs of Muhammad? i calling the muslims you know uh, and the arabs of that region and that and after that they began to seize the shops and homes of the people and forced them out and they carried out huge crimes and they repeated this pattern across the entire region as I mentioned earlier as part of their ethnic cleansing Kurdish people who are Muslim and uh, and Islamic they reject the PKK and even in Turkey the, you'll find that within the armed forces there are Kurds who are taking part in the operations against the PKK because their loyalty is with Islam um, and and their perception is that Erdogan's an yeah. Islamic leader, mm-hmm. so uh, which is a, a separate yeah. story. But what it does confirm that the nature of the PKK is totally different to these other factions. But there's more to them as well. Imran, yes, you want to say something?
2: Yeah, I'll just say even historically, even before modern day Turkey, when the Ottoman uh, uh, state was in uh, existence, the Kurds had a very good relationship with the, uh, with, the with the state. Yes, and it was, even though it's a semi-autonomous uh, area. Yes, but they still paid lip service to the uh, to the sultan and the uh, caliphs. They swore allegiance they're to sulis, the Khalif
0: and sulis. that was the region that was yeah. the most uh, opposition, mm-hmm. represented the most opposition to Ataturk for keeping yeah. the Islamic State yeah. and their loyalty to Istanbul. Mm-hmm. So a fantastic yeah. point there. And
2: it's only when the young Turks came in and they rebelled and they were politically against Sultan Abdul uh, Hamid that these kind of sentiments started to uh, gain prominence. But before that, the the uh, notion of uh, a Kurdish, a separate Kurdish nation, wasn't was very very minute. It didn't exist. Yes. But after World War One, uh, when the Russians on the Armenians, they actually massacred the uh, Kurds. But they put a good re- resistance. Yes. But then obviously within you get traitors. Yeah. And then uh, in uh, uh, the well against the in, they fought very heroically in Dardanelles and also the uh, Gallipoli. Also, but then also but in the uh, uh, when the Russians and the Armenians massacred uh, the Kurds, there was, uh, I think his name was Sharif Pasha. He's the one who went and signed an agreement at the Paris Peace uh, Conference yes. with the Armenians that like, you support us, gain independence, and we'll uh, aid you. So this is
1: where the PKK was effectively born? Being...
2: That's right, yeah. And also also the uh, the, the British court, court wind of this, and then uh, the... Uh, Major, who was in charge at that time of the area, Major EWC Nolf, he tried to win the Kurds over, uh, just like Lawrence Arabia did in the Arab revolt, so against pitting the, uh, pitting the Kurds against the, uh, uh, the Turks. So, so, so it, this, what we see as a GMEI was actually existence back then, but in a different format or a style. So, yes, but, so that but, was
1: like the, almost like the birth of the Sykes Pico and its side, yeah. you know, implementation across the Muslim yeah. world. Yeah.
2: and then after that after the demise of uh, uh, the uh, Othmani uh, Khava, that's when the, uh, the this Kurdish state became uh, more prominent. Yeah you know, and uh, before
0: the, yeah, some yeah. very good points and uh, and the the main modern day Kurdish movement was actually born after the Second world War. Um, so the modern independence movement was born uh, after Second World War and his founding father is considered as Mullah Mustafa Barzani the father of the current uh, Barzani who's a president uh, of the uh, Kurdish regional government in uh, northern Iraq and it's well on record that this movement independence movements from um, Mullah Mustafa Barzani right from the beginning, had ties to Israel and it was an Israeli project the and it's no wonder then in 2017 when the Kurds were organizing an independence referendum in northern Iraq Benjamin Netanyahu he was the only world leader to openly declare his support for an independent Kurdish state Um, but that's not a secret because it was some and, and then when when the referendum uh, was voted as yes, then you found in the entire region Kurdish flags were being flown alongside Israeli flags openly and unashamedly, and Barzani said that he was not averse to having open ties with Israel under the pretext that all the Arab regimes have that but the, uh, but with this independence Kurdish independence movement it's a lot more sinister because Barzani he visited Israel in the 60s to ask the then Israeli prime Minister David Ben-gurion for support So we find that the Israelis right from the support uh, right from the start have had an interest in the Kurdish project and it, it goes back even historically because a lot of Kurdish Jews uh, emigrated to Israel in the 30s 40s uh, and fifty, but 40s and 50s in particular and they were the bridge between the israelis and this independence movement there so no wonder in 2004 seymour hirsch uh, seymour hirsch uh, he um uh, he published some details of how actually the uh, uh, the israelis through Mossad and other military units, had a major presence in northern Iraq directly after America's invasion um, of Iraq. And Seymour Hersh is the same guy who exposed the crimes of the Americans in um, in Abu Ghraib, for your information. And at that time, the Israelis were denying that they had military units on the ground in northern Iraq and had a military presence there. But in 2006, the BBC Newsnight program... Um, which you can look up. Um, they actually uncovered evidence which showed uh, the Israelis there training uh, the Kurdish um,
1: PKK and KDP uh, fighters uh, in northern Iraq. I mean, even if anyone does have any question marks around, you know, uh, whether you know this is true or not, or whether it's just a conspiracy, I mean, you just have to look at the events on the ground. So, for example, when Condoleezza. Rice launched the Great Middle East Initiative in 2004. It was also, you know, part of the plans to draw in Israel and make it kind of like shape the region and plant this alien entity within Syria. And at the time, the Israelis and the Americans called it the campaign between wars. And um, the key primary objective of that was to er- erode Iranian and other, you know, Muslim nations, uh, which called it capabilities, and also deplete Syria from uh, what you call it, of its resources and economic benefits. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then also, what's his name, to implant an, uh, an intelligence and strategic capability within the region. Yeah. And the other thing is, it was only in 2018 when the Russians offered the Israelis uh, a deal to say, look, we'll man the border for you. I, they're talking about, you know, borders and um, areas within Syria. Why yeah. would you off, make a deal or try to offer something when the Israelis have no interest or have no presence within that region? And then the Israelis, even most recently, when Trump said we're going to go out, and the Tur- uh, Turkish uh, uh, army uh, decided to go in there, they were one of the first ones to voice concerns about you know having you know Turkish uh, what you call it troops within uh, yeah.
0: Syria. No, you're absolutely, you're right. Yeah, so right now, you know, the Israelis were extremely vocal, vocal about uh, Turkey's operation in northern Syria, because it destroys their plans, you know, for that. And Seymour Hersh, he was quoting a Mossad agent who was operating in that area, you know, in which he described that a Kurdish uh, state, you know, uh, would be a threat to Iran, because Iran, you know, does not want, quote, an Israeli land-based aircraft carrier on its border. Um, Yeah, and don't forget... So, uh, I think we need to just pause on that for a moment and think about it the Israelis are openly admitting their vested interest in this Kurdish state in the heart of the Middle East hence why it's actually known by a lot of Muslims in that region that these guys want to establish not a Kurdistan but a Yehudistan (laughs) because because it actually would be an extension of Israel in the Middle East right in a strategic location cutting across Turkey, Iran,
1: Syria and Iraq Can you imagine that? And this is, you know, it also falls into, you know, the wider plans in regards to deal of the century. How do you normalise ties with the Israelis? This is another angle that you can look at it from as well. So you've got the presence of the Israelis. Imagine the American uh, plans for deal of the century are successful. This would not become, you know, something that would stand out or something which is alien for the Muslims. It would also, it would almost be something which is normal. Israeli presence within the Muslim region, which they are trying to obviously make sure that kind of like ferments and materializes. And the other thing, don't forget, is uh, the Israelis that shot down you know the uh, Russian cargo plane in Syria. How did the Israelis manage to shoot a Russian what? cargo plane or fighter jet? No cargo plane, they shot down, and in return, what Russia did was it gave Assad and uh, what you call it, s-300 surface to air missiles to ensure something like that doesn't happen and they complain that there was no coordination between the russians the israelis and the americans in relation to this why would the israelis shoot down a russian cargo plane and i think about 15 russian uh, uh, which called it Personal. people uh, personnel, uh, got, uh, killed. and personnel got why why would they sorry
0: why would they what's the answer to that question
1: well, Would this is this just goes to show that if anyone can like dispute the fact that you know there's no Israeli presence in there and it's not genetic? You know, you... oh, I think it's beyond that point now,
0: really, to be honest. It's, it's not even a secret. So, the fact is well documented that um, Mustafa Barzani um, uh, went straight to Israel and he's a founding father of the modern Kurdish independence movement, the KDP, which is the um, uh, which is the um, uh, separatist movement in northern Iraq, um, and then the PKK, which is its equivalent in northern Syria and in southern Turkey. Um, these movements and their links to Israel are, um, are are clear. And as we said, I mean, just in the 2017 election, but even prior to that, do you know in the 1990s um, the, it's on record that the Israelis were supplying the Kurds then in Iraq at the time then as well. Um, uh, it's also on record that in the '90s, APAC, the American-Israel Public Affairs Committee, uh, they had a strong relationship with the Kurdish movement, and um, and they even officially acknowledged that by providing uh, aid to the Kurds back in 1980, um, when Prime Minister of Israel then Begin disclosed that Israel had supported the Kurds during their uprising against the Iraqis between 65 and 75. So you can see Israeli arms i been flooding in since the 60s into that region, you know, right from the start. And furthermore, um, uh, there was the Israeli Kurdish Friendship League, which was established in uh, Jerusalem. Um, uh, the um, and, and, and can you imagine the Israeli... newspaper um, Israel National News they actually said and I'm quoting Israel would do well to eye Rojava with interest and not only to confront Iran's penetration he said or the article stated Rojava and Iraqi Kurdistan are the only entities in the Middle East apart from Israel that enjoy open secular and liberal rule granting considerable rights to the opposition, women and minorities. So they are openly declaring that ideologically, Israel and the Kurdish independence movement is directly aligned intellectually. Uh, and furthermore, just one point before uh, you come in, Imran, was to link to what madassah said earlier, that strategically, the same article was saying that should Israel strengthen its relationship with the Syrian Kurds, It gained would its gains would extend beyond strategic, political, and security benefits. Rojava's natural resources. Remember, we already said that the PKK controls 80% of Syria's oil reserves uh, in that region. And here, the Israeli newspaper is saying that Rojava's or north uh, west syria's natural resources especially its oil can contribute to israel's energy supply and be invested in projects such as an oil pipeline through jordan and goes on to say that u.s troops are stationed at seven military bases in rojava and that could offer an alternative to the turkish military base you know should it come to get to the point where turkey expels the military base so you see the israeli connection you know, historically, until now, just cannot be undermined or diminished, which would explain Israel's current uh, displeasure with the Turkish operation in northern uh, uh,
2: Syria. Yes, Imran. Yes, that's why, like you said, they're angry, because of the fact that it reduces its uh, their influence in that part of uh, uh, Syria. But the uh, ideological, ideological threat that the YPG and the PKK poses in the heart of a Muslim is very very dangerous. The fact that they are Marxists, atheists, secularists, this all is attack against Islam and the akida of the uh, Muslims. And, 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 and this, the this newspaper
0: article from uh, the Israeli journalist confirming it, no, correct? Exactly.
2: Yeah. So this wishful thinking that this Kurdistan will provide prosperity to individuals or people the Kurds or whatever, it's not going to be beneficial for. Muslims in the long run, because it's a direct attack on Islam and their and their core principles. Absolutely,
0: and that can't be you know, stressed enough. So the fact they see it as an ideological base, they see um, you know they see a Kurdish state as being an extension of Israel. The fact that they see it as being an Israeli land-based aircraft carrier in that region, these are their own terms for it. You know shows you that fighting the PKK and eliminating the PKK is as good as eliminating Israel.
2: And, that, and that's obviously the difference between your average, you know, normal rebel factions on the ground compared to the uh, YPG. Correct. Because the, uh, the rebel factions, they, they, they wanted uh, freedom and uh, independence from uh, Bashar al-Assad, Yeah, whereas the uh, YPG and the uh, PKK, KPP... PKK, sorry, KDP, KDP, sorry, YPG, <laughs> yeah. which is uh, the PKK undercover, <laughs> yeah. yeah. you yeah. know. So they're they're completely different kettle kind of fish compared to the rebel factions that are fighting the.
0: Absolutely, the yeah. So there is no comparison whatsoever. So you're right. A lot of these movements, they were sincere. You know, they were sincere, but they were manipulated and deceived into believing that they were going to be free from Assad in the same way the people of Libya had just become free from uh, Gaddafi. So the West deceived the Syrians into believing that they would come to their support and get rid of Assad in the same way that they had just carried out airstrikes in 2011 in Libya and destroyed Libya and uh, removed uh, Gaddafi. And the people believed it. But the West had no intention of removing Assad But their, their intention was to get a civil war going. But with the PKK, they knowingly and deliberately are an is Isra- or an extension of Israel and the Israeli project and America. And, um, and and you can find videos online with Israeli officials visiting northern um, uh, Iraq, um, celebrating uh, with the uh, Kurdish independence movements. And I posted a video earlier on my Facebook page in which you don't understand Arabic, but you can hear Yahudi, kurdi uh, Israeli uh, alliance, and there are Israeli representatives so, at oh, this for round. For those that
1: do understand Kurdish, it should be really worthwhile for them to actually listen to that video and understand exactly what they are saying to, because it's easier and it's more believable if you hear it in your own kind of language. The other question is, I mean, you know, a lot of the people do question, uh, okay we're talking about the situation operation peace spring is it really right for us to kind of like support the military action considering you know turkey and as we've spoken okay we understand you know the position that is held by america israel as well as the ypg YP- and also turkey for that reason due to nationalistic and patriotic reasons is it really right for us to support it from an islamic perspective from an Ummus perspective i mean what's your views because that's One of the, seems to be the main point of discussion on social media platforms at the moment.
2: I mean, like I mentioned before, if it's an ideological threat to the Muslims, it's better to remove, have that entity removed, which is a threat to Islam and the Muslims. So even though Erdogan doesn't represent uh, Islam in its uh, entirety, but at least the action that he's undertaking ...or the army is undertaking to remove the harm that will bring the Muslims. In that sense, it is beneficial for the uh, Muslims. But don't be don't, don't be fooled because uh, Erdogan is no caliph or sultan at the same time. Yeah, he's he's a nice and, and
0: had he been, he would have taken he this action that. earlier. That's he right. would have annexed yeah. the whole of Syria when he had the opportunity the, easily back yeah. in 2011, 2012. So
2: the main issue is what benefits the Muslims and what removes the harm. For the benefits uh, for, for the muslims from an ideological uh, perspective like we mentioned before uh, marxist standard communist ideas about liberation for women uh, freedoms etc these are all an attack on islam and the muslims yeah and, i mean
0: why else would you openly you know ally with israel you know and the jews And be prepared to be an extension of Israel. Hence, the reason why this is this a Kurdish state would be a Zionist state. It would be an extension of Israel.
1: Absolutely. And the other key point not to forget is, as a normal, we should be looking at everything through the lenses of you know being politically savvy and being politically aware. And let's not forget, you know, that anything which kind of like you know supports or disrupts the American and the Gulfard plans within the region. Should, we should always support this, whether it's obviously done by Turkey or someone else. So that's the other angle, because anything which kind of like threatens the unity of the Ummah and creates more quagmire and perpetuates the situation, should always be against it, but at the same time, like you mentioned, what benefits the Ummah far outweighs whether it's Turkey, whether it's someone else or not. Yeah, so the issue
0: isn't who is disrupting this Israeli-American project, um, and, and, and eliminating uh, the PKK. Um, the issue is exactly as you uh, have uh, pointed out. The issue is is that now that we know the reality of the Kurdish independence movement, its history and origins of how from the 50s and 60s, it, it was born in alliance with Israel. It's not just a spontaneous movement, uh, which was accidentally encouraged as the other rebel factions were um, uh, deceptively as, you know, as we said now we know what this movement's about now we know its ideological objectives are aligned to, you know, in its war against Islam and, and facilitating and aiding the enemies of Islam directly so the elimination of the PKK therefore is directly equivalent to the elimination from Israel of Israel from a Muslim perspective mm. so now if Turkey right now is engaged in a major operation against Tel Aviv and Haifa and all the other Jewish population centres of Israel and Israel was on the verge of destruction which Muslim would come out and say hey wait, Erdogan's not the Khalif hey wait, uh, Turkey is doing this for its own personal interest they're not doing it for Islamic reasons do you, okay, that might be the case does that mean now you oppose and you want to preserve Israel you want to keep Israel there now and, and, mm. and prolong its existence and, and, and protect it in effect which is what you which is the equivalent of what people would be advocating for the PKK which I think most people are because of their ignorance they don't mm. understand the reality of the uh, uh, the Kurdish independence movement so the issue as we said right from the start isn't about turkey versus the Kurdish people it's not whenever a conspiracy against the ummah and islam is being disrupted by anyone Even if their intention was totally different, should the Muslims rejoice or should we be sad? And should they rejoice whether they're Arabs or Turks or Kurds or Pakistanis? Is it a national issue or is it an ideological issue? Through these actions and through the elimination of the PKK, inshallah, it's a major setback for the Greater Middle East Initiative. It's a great setback for the... Um, um, for the Israeli uh, entrenchment of establishing its uh, land-based aircraft carrier, as they call it themselves, uh, right in the heart of the Middle East. So, and, and the answer is, clearly, they should be rejoicing. And in the same way, when we look at uh, uh, Sira and we say that the Jews uh, in Yathrib, they indirectly facilitated and assisted the birth of the Islamic State in Medina. Okay, they didn't do it intentionally. They didn't do it because they wanted uh, the Messenger of so Sallallahu to be successful and Islam to prevail. They did it with other intentions. Was, and what, and I want to recap this for the listeners in case people are wondering what the hell I'm talking about. When the Messenger of so Sallallahu in the 10th year of his message was struggling uh, after the death of his uncle Abu Talib and the oppression increased and he started carrying now the Dawah. Uh, the dawah to people from outside Mecca, and he met six people from Yathrib, and these six people of Yathrib, when he said to them, "I'm the messenger of Allah," and gave dawah to them, straight away they they start to to think about embracing Islam, and they embraced Islam. And did you know what they said? They said, "This is the same messenger that the Jews have been threatening us with," because the Jews, whenever they used to get uh, uh, angry with the Arabs in Yathrib, they used to always threaten them saying our Messiah our messenger is coming and when he comes he will unify us and we and we will have victory over you Arabs so
1: effectively this was, it
0: dismantled their uh, kind of like plans it dis- the Jews themselves dismantled their own plans and facilitated and assisted the birth of and the spread of Islam in Yathrib to the extent that within two years a popular base had been born. And it was ready now to base the state. Now we rejoice at the fact that this breakthrough came and it backfired in the Jews themselves. So if we could rejoice at that, why could we not rejoice at the fact that there, there are Muslim soldiers in the Turkish army who have an, have an Islamic spirit of, um, uh, of some type who Are dismantling a Jewish conspiracy, an Israeli Zionist conspiracy, an American conspiracy. Because
1: that kind of enforces, you know, Kufr ideas amongst the Ummah. So, obviously, and also dismantling you know, the espionage hotbed as like one of also yeah, the PKK it, being the hotbed of, you know, you know, of this espionage and Kufr. I mean, what we're saying mean. all this, then, do you know, can't you argue that a lot of the people. Well, might turn around and say, yeah, but this is a bit hypocritical, considering the fact that you guys are quite vocal in regards to, you know, Turkey's actions. But then why weren't you so vocal in regards to Assad when he was trying to obviously do something and targeting certain, you know, rebel factions, etc. So how does this fare with what Turkey is doing and what Assad was trying to do? Is it similar? Is it different? It's a very good question. It can come across as very hypocritical. It's a
0: very good question. and I think we'd have to first uh, differentiate between the two circumstances. The whole <clears throat> Assad situation and the Syrian civil war was engineered by America. And the Ummah was deceived into believing that these were spontaneous revolutions, first in Tunisia and then in Egypt. And from there, they caught on in Libya and Syria and Yemen uh, and all these other places. And, and this was part of the deception that mobilize the Ummah in order to bring create the fitna which occurred in these lands. And the Muslims in Syria were given false hope, as I explained, after the West gave them false hope in making them believe that they were going to support them um, uh, against Assad to bring him down. And then that led to all these rebel factions who were all being funded and financed by foreign states directly or indirectly um, in order to which which fuel the fitna and and a fitna is described as when the situation isn't blatantly clear on which side you should take place you might say okay with Assad it's very clear you know with Assad and the Alawis is very clear but most of the forces on the ground that were doing the fighting were Muslim And it was turning out to be a Sunni Shia civil war, which is what America was planning to embed this deep sectarian divide across the entire region by using its tools. So Hezbollah is an American tool. They used the Iranian Revolutionary Guard uh, as a part of its plan. They used all these other Islamic groups, which were being funded by Qatar and Saudi and and these kind of regimes, which were um, which were. Directed by America. But these factions on the ground and the people fighting these grounds and their leaderships, most of them were sincere, but they had been politically deceived uh, into believing that they could overthrow Assad. But they couldn't do because America would never, ever give them sufficient weapons in order to for them to overthrow Assad. They never did provide them any kind of support to bring down Assad as they had done with Gaddafi. What America was doing was supplying enough weapons in order to maintain the stalemate situation to perpetuate a civil war. With the PKK, they have been a deliberate they actually are an arm. They should be seen as an equivalent to Israel. The PKK, the YPG, the KDP, the whole Kurdish independence movement from Mustafa Barzani's time in the 60s is known to be an Israeli project where they deliberately and knowingly are a part of it. Did any of the leaders of these other rebel factions, did they go to Israel right from the start in the 60s? And then, you know, these were um, the movements which were created and spontaneously came about. Well, they didn't spontaneously came about. America engineered their creation and then just fueled the civil war. And overthrowing uh, Bashar Assad was now to regime change. And we know that regime change uh, is not the method of Islam to change a regime. But America had given this false hope to the people that he could bring out this regime change through armed struggle, to the point where even Islamic Political movements, or so they claim to be political movements, even they became deceived to take part in the armed struggle in order to overthrow Assad. But America wasn't going to allow it because this would be controlled by America. With the PKK, this is very clearly a munker an evil, and removal of munker and evil depends upon capability. So it's a duty, it's an obligation to fight the PKK. ...doesn't mean that we're asking any individuals to go over there and fight the PKK... ...because they won't have the capability. But the armed forces of a state, such as the Turkish um, uh, state, the Pakistani state... ...or the Iranian state, and the the armed forces and the people in these armed forces... ...and their capacities as Muslims, do they have the capability? So do we not call upon the armed forces to rebel against the regimes... And take their own initiative and attack Israel. Mm. And why do we do that? Because it's linked to capability. There are separate obligations. And I think people need to understand. Establishing the Islamic State is one obligation. But removing a munker is another obligation. Defensive jihad, which is not dependent upon the presence of a state, is another obligation. But all these obligations are linked to capability. So when the Messenger of Sallallahu says, if anyone sees any munker, let him change it with his hand, and if he can't, let him change it with his tongue, and then if he can't, let him cha- really let it. change it uh, or, or hate it in his heart. This is linked to capability. So changing it with the hands is the link to capability. So any entity or person which has the capability to remove a munker, they must. So when we call upon the armed forces of the Muslim world to remove Israel. We do so on the basis that they are Muslims and they have the capability to remove this Munkur and it's an obligation upon them. Now that Erdogan has mobilised the Turkish armed forces in order to protect national interests of Turkey in order to dismantle the PKK, the intention is not correct, but the result is... Of the Muslims Who are dismantling This conspiracy And removing this munker Is this something Which we should oppose Or support That's the key issue That's how I would address that I don't know if you want To add to that
2: uh, no, I mean Even the start of the uh, So called Syrian uh, revolution People didn't Go, go uh, you know, Fight with the with the regime They were just protesting They wanted reforms Correct Yeah. But then The regime themselves They got heavy handed with, uh, with, with, with the General population Yes and then after that, all of a sudden, you had weapons coming in. To, and and uh, that's the question. And Who's bringing exactly. in these and weapons? And then you had uh, these fighters coming in all of a sudden. Where did these fighters come from? Where, where were they being shipped from? Obviously, it was external players who were... Factors. Uh, uh, Factors, uh, actual players who were actually... Uh, facilitating, bringing, uh, even here
0: in Europe. Yeah. The, the European governments yeah. were facilitating all these people who later on they were now... You know,
2: now they're deriding and you know yeah. citizenship, etc. Yeah. Et yeah. So, so to start off with, it was, it was a, a peaceful uh, a protest, yeah. But but now we see today, it's pure carnage, a total uh, chaos. Yeah. You know that Syria has become so demolished and just obviously it's been wiped off the what is the earth. What is left is just the the borders. There's no infrastructure at all. Yeah. Yeah. And who's facilitating all this? Is the uh, is the mainly uh, America and uh, uh, Israel who and they even the Daesh uh, the ISIS, they were, the fighters who were in certain areas which were uh, in uh, uh, control of the regime. They were actually shipped to different areas, different parts of Syria, so they could continue fighting in other parts of the uh, uh, of the country.
1: Absolutely, I mean, even the even the demographics of the whole region were being like, mm-hmm. kind of like, changed and manipulated. So people might accuse, you know, Turkey, or, Turkey of trying to Arabize, you know, the Kurdish region, which the Kurds initially did exactly the same thing. They Kurdified him. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Under the guise of, you know, American protection and et cetera, and the fact that they were trying to remove ISIS. And it's quite an interesting and unique point as well. I mean, I mean it kind of like also kind of like states that, you know, why do we keep on falling into this trap consistently is there any particular reasons i mean even though janallah you know, like turkey has done this it's not just about you know we, we keep on talking about you know states and nations etc but the Ummah, what we've just kind of like discussed here is it falls into these you know traps repeatedly and why does it fall into these uh, traps repeatedly is it because you view something from a particular lens or uh, through a particular binoculars or is it just the fact that you know the situation so So
0: so before uh, to answer that question, so I just really want to clarify on the uh, previous question, which is people say Turkey attacking the PKK is equivalent to Assad attacking the Free Syrian Army or other rebel factions. It's not clearly the same thing, uh, as we've said, with PKK, a specific entity. And that's the dismantling of a foreign conspiracy. Assad attacking these rebel factions, Imran explained very well how these rebel factions came into existence, because the people were just protesting. They were holding up banners, mm. asking, you know, for the downfall of Assad, asking for elections and democracy or freedom. And, and uh, some people were asking for some kind of Islamic... Um, yeah. A, a, a flavour of uh, of this, and then weapons start flooding in, and armed factions, and the the population wasn't taking part in it. It was it was foreign fighters, Outside. so it was it was engineered that way. So so Assad is now fighting these factions, which he was made to fight because initially um, there was no civil war. Yes, uh, uh, the uh, the Syrian regime is known to be heavy-handed. But it's not the first time the Syrian regime's been heavy-handed. ...for the last 30-40 years... ...since... uh, uh, ...half is Assad's time... ...since 1970... ...so there was no civil war then... ...nor was it justified... ...that armed method... ...was legitimate for regime change... ...that all of a sudden... ...it became legitimate now... ...because America... ...created the environment... ...and trapped us into that... ...going back to um, your question... ...which is very important... ...why do Muslims keep falling... ...in these political uh, traps... ...so why is it... ...and the fact that Muslims are confused... ...you know... and, ...and I would say the answer is... ...because Muslims... It goes back to our bread and butter. They have they lack the political awareness. So the fact that people were confused of uh, and they genuinely believed that America was approving Turkish action against the YPG, it's because they weren't reading beneath the surface. They just believe whatever the media is telling them. They've just been told America's given them the green light, but they should have at least stopped and said, hang on, America might have given them the green light, but at the same time, there's this huge debate you know, of why are we abandoning our allies. Why are the YPG in the position that they are in? Why are they so heavily armed? In, you know, as they are. You know, and and the and the fact that America has been stalling Turkey from the last two or three years from going in there. So why now? You know, you've got to stop thinking a bit more deeply. And unfortunately, Muslims don't do that. And if they had done that, they wouldn't have ended up supporting this American project and believed that the that there were actual blessed revolutions taking place and. Yeah, they were going to ride the American wave to establish the Khedafah. And it's also a
1: lesson for Turkey as well, considering, you know, on its own borders, I mean, if you look at the situation of, you know, the Arab Spring or the Great Middle East Initiative, every single nation which America supported historically, or, you know, the Tyrant leaders that it supported historically, they were dismantled and destroyed. Yet, Turkey was still trying to aid America. And that obviously, again, can not prove the point that, you know, Turkey... It still hasn't really escaped, you know, from the orbit of the Americans, even though it wants to. But it feels entrapped purely because it has that non-ideological basis. And it's quite, you know, it's not just... Yeah, I think think
0: the point you're making is very good because you need to differentiate. There's a lack of political awareness amongst the Muslims and the Ummah, which means you'll keep getting deceived. What you're describing now is very important because it shows that even a state, if it's non-ideological, such as the Turkish one and the Turkish regime, politically it's been manoeuvred and trapped. And had it gone in, you know, had it, had it had an ideological basis, it would have done things differently.
1: Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, similar. I mean, at the state level and also you know, at the individual level, it seems to be a similar kind of like track record. And this is what we as, you know, a number needs to do. Raise that you know, political awareness and also our own political understanding to ensure that, you know, we can also kind of like clarify the Islamic Haqqida and preserve, you know, what Islam has given us. To ensure that we never fall for these kind of like traps and uh, plots again. Yeah, I think the other
2: thing to mention is that uh, until the Muslims don't make their belief, their Islamic Aqidah, their reference point, yeah, because in the the day Islam is both spiritual and political. Yeah, we know what the spiritual side of uh, things are. Yeah, but that's why we're lacking on the political side of things. So. Uh for example the, the the massacre, the civil war that's been happening in Syria it's been going for years now. And how many people have tried different different actions to to, 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 to try to resolve the issues, but the issue is still the same. Yeah, nothing's changed, it's probably getting uh, worse. Yeah. So we have to link our actions back to our basic fundamentals, which is the which is our Islamic uh Akhida. And then once we do that, that's when we will realise that our path to salvation is actually easier than it is at the moment because we're, the Muslims are being pulled left, right and centre. Yeah? There's, there's a million and one ways to solve, possibly to solve a political, political problem, be it protests, demonstrations, write to your MP or whatever. Yeah? But there's only one solution which Allah has given us. And that change, in order to change society, our thinking is all, all, also one as well. In terms of following the method of Muhammad Sallallahu how he changed society, what yeah. he tried in Mecca and what he did in uh, in yeah. Medina.
0: Yeah, and, and and this political awareness, you know, it starts with a, adopting the mission of the Messenger to make Islam prevail, you know, over the whole world. The purpose of which the Messenger Sallallahu was sent. Had the Turkish regime, had Erdogan actually been um, an Islamic leader, and had and if if, if it was an ideological state. If Turkey had been an ideological state, they would have, right from the start, gone in and annexed as many, as much, as much territory of Syria as possibly they could have under the pretext of national security. The people of Aleppo they would have welcomed them. They they would have, and and bear in mind, just just shortly before uh, the Syrian civil war started, or about the same time, uh, Russia just annexed Crimea. And organise a referendum there, and that became a province of Russia. Yeah, you know, without anyone's consultation. Without anyone's consultation, yeah. Turkey had the best opportunity because it, of the Tur- because of the independence yeah. you know, Kurdish threat. It had the excuse of national security, and then in order to protect the civilians of Aleppo from the bombardment of the regime, it would have taken over those areas, organised a referendum. Uh, quickly and the overwhelming number of people in the entire region would have voted to become a province of turkey and that would have been now uh, in motion and that would have set a a whole uh, host of chain reaction events which would have disrupted america's plan for the the entire muslim world but you've got to be an ideological leader uh, to do that and and it's the ideology of islam that gives you that kind of vision and that gives you that kind of courage to carry out and the impetus in order to carry out these high-stake, high-risk manoeuvres, which is historically what the Muslims did from the time of Muhammad sallam all the way until recent times when Muslims always carried out, you know, high-risk, high-stake strategies and always overturned the tables on our enemies. Even
1: when, you know, the odds were far greater than what we find ourselves in now. Absolutely, yeah. we had far less numbers. Because I see uh, with Saladin, uh, under, you know, the entrapment of the Mongols at the time. I mean, the other thing you mentioned in you know, the Crimea. I mean, a better example that comes to mind, uh, comes to mind in regards to the Russians is when they went into Georgia, a NATO ally. They dismantled the country into two and put the region that they wanted to take under their own, like, what you call it, umbrella?
2: Yeah. But that's the thing see, to break away from the shackles of the uh, colonialists. Yeah, a state is linked. A non-ideological state is always going to be linked Or controlled by someone else Fine. But what makes a state It's the individuals It's the people within that state that make a state The state isn't an, an, an empty kind of eggshell or whatever You know what I mean It's what consists within it And what consists within it is the people within that So the people have to change within themselves In order for them to become independent To have some sort of aspiration Some goals, object, objectives in life
0: yeah, absolutely. So, uh, okay. So, I think that's um, so. To wrap up, then, um, um, in uh, to summarize, hopefully, this has been beneficial to the listeners to give them some more information and a and a wider and a different perspective to view the current situation. And um, and in conclusion, the Muslims must increase their political awareness. Um, the uh, uh, the Muslims, it doesn't mean that the Turkish regime is correct or we support the Turkish regime um, in re- What we support is right and what we reject and what we rebuke is uh, is clearly what is falsehood and contradicts Islam. So what Sharia approves of we must support What Sharia rejects we must also reject. So we do rebuke the Turkish regime for being a secular nationalistic regime, for not implementing Islam, further rebuke it for not having gone into Syria to the aid of its uh, brethren uh, a long, you know, a lot earlier, and it's only now reacting in order to preserve its own territorial integrity. But the action they are taking right now, which is disrupting uh, a major American-Israeli project, is. Uh, is, is is something which all Muslims have to support because it's an obligation to remove the Munker um, and is, it is being removed by the armed forces on the ground who are Muslims regardless of what the motives are of its leadership and in conclusion and, and, and to reiterate actually that this uh, uh, conspiracy that's been foiled is a Kurdish independence movement which was born Um, with Israeli uh, cooperation right from the start in the 60s. The KDP, the Kurdish Democratic Party uh, in Iraq, the PKK, um, uh, uh, which uh, um, uh, in Turkey and the YPG, which is a PKK rebranded. And they've also, America also branded them as the SDF, the Syrian Democratic Forces, to give them that legitimacy and uh, support. So, JazakAllah uh, Khaira for uh, uh, the audience listening. JazakAllah uh, Khaira to Madasa Khan and Imran Malik in joining me in addressing this very important topic at short notice. I'm Maz Najib, uh, your host for today. And inshallah, until next time. As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa as-salamu <laughs> wa wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.